Is there anyone here who would like to see a revival? Amen. Anyone? <laughs> I am sure that each one of you would uh, say yes. It would be great to see a revival. In fact, you probably have been praying for revival. Maybe for quite some time. Oh, that would sweep all across the world. This planet Earth that would see the Gospel and come to it. Boy, if any time would be good, it'd be now. And you know what? It's good to desire that. It's biblical to desire that. That people would be saved. That's really what you're praying for. Um, over the many centuries, there have been amazing revivals. Just been incredible. One was at the city of Nineveh that involved Jonah preaching the Word of God to them that they were to repent. And it was a huge revival. The whole city, everybody in it, repented and believed. And they became believers. Could have been as many as a million. I call that a major revival. Shift ahead a few hundred years and let's take it to the day of Pentecost when the church was considered to be born at that day the way that we know it. And we know that there were 3,000 that day. And then thousands and thousands of others in the ensuing days to come, thousands and thousands responded to the Gospel that was preached. Fast forward at 1,500 years, the Gospel was becoming lost. It was in the Dark Ages and came the Reformation in the 1500s. We think of people like uh, Luther and Calvin and Zwingli, John Knox, all in that Reformation period. And that was a great revival. Tremendous. And what we have learned today through our own study, today I mean up through our Christian lives, we have that to look back and be thankful for that we have been able to have the Word of God as freedom where the church doesn't even take it from us where we can know what the Gospel truly is through the Word of God. And then there was the Great Awakening in the 1700s. You think of uh, Whitfield and Wesley, and you think of uh, Jonathan Edwards right here in our own country. And then the Welsh revivals, we have to mention that. Those are massive revivals. And so that's what we really want to see at this time. There have been special times where there's been huge numbers. You look at the church today and sometimes to me it seems lazy. It seems lukewarm. It seems liberal. It seems like the Word of God does not take its very presence where it needs to be as a whole. But God has His people all through. The church is triumphant no matter what period of time it is. Sometimes it feels like it's just lackadaisical though. The church seems to be going through motions. But I want to tell you, we are the church. I love the church. The church is made up of God's called. The God's elect. And uh, you know what? It is triumphant. And... It is the church triumphant. It is what Jesus had said that the gates of hell, hell will not prevail against it. 
That's beautiful, isn't it? It's great to know. We know that. We believe it. So we win. But we'd like to see some things move in the church, wouldn't we? And see more people come to Christ. If you're a Christian, that's automatic. We want to see people know the Lord. We don't want them to be judged in the way that they are presented to be judged in the book of Revelation, for instance. Or any other book in the Bible. We desire that they be in the family of God, don't we? Well, I tell you right now, speaking about revivals, in fact, I guarantee that there is going to be a revival before Christ comes back. And I say that without my opinion, but through the Word of God. I know this will happen. And sometimes it doesn't seem like it will, but it's going to be massive. I want to tell you, no other revival can come close to the revival that is in the very near future. It could be in the very near future. It could be a way off yet. But I'm telling you, in the future, there will be revival like there has never, ever been before. It's going to be unlike even Nineveh or at Pentecost or at the Reformation. It's going to be bigger than that. It's going to be huge. Massive people are going to be saved. There's a guarantee there because of the Word of God. I can say this and not be ashamed of it because this is going to be the best of times in the worst of times. Because there's never been a time like this time that we're reading about in Revelation. It says that in the Old Testament. says it in the New Testament. Jesus said it. Never has there ever been any kind of tribulation like this or ever will be. So coming in that is going to be this wrath of Lamb. But there's going to be salvation to people where God is going to be merciful and gracious and bring in millions. Yes, I say millions and millions and millions. I thought about this this week and I'm going, a million sounds little compared to what we're talking about in our text today. And you'll see what I mean. Have you ever lived in a time where you've heard of millions and millions and millions of people converting to Christ? I haven't. I haven't known that at all in our time. While the wrath of the Lamb is being unleashed, the salvation of God is bringing in His elect from the four corners of the earth numbers like we have never seen before. And this is what we're going to look at today. Are you ready? Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we read the text. Lord great God, You are awesome. You are holy. You are mighty. You are just. You're righteous in all Your ways, in all Your judgment. But You're also a God of love and grace and mercy who saves people in the worst conditions possible. And that really is the absolute depravity of man being exposed in a way that's never been. You will show Your grace and mercy in a very, very visible way as people become saved. And Lord, as we look at this, may we be humbled by Your greatness, by Your saving, because our prayers will come true. 
even though we still want some kind of a revival now. And that could very well happen too. Lord, we thank You as You lead us today in Your Word again. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Let's read the text. Let's stand. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God, and he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who who are they and where have they come from? I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of a lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple, and He who sits on the throne will spread His tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and will guide them to springs 
of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. You can be seated. We say amen. amen. What a text. This is wonderful. The title of this is Who is Able to Stand? And we get that from verse 17 of Revelation 7. It's the very last verse of the previous chapter that we just read. It says, For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Guess what? We get the answer in chapter 7. There's two sections in this today. Its outline is one point and the second point. The first one is the 144,000. They will stand. We've been looking at the first six seals. We're ready for the seventh, but not today. Because God has to stop everything and say, okay, I've got to seal my servants. Now, what has happened before this was the first seal, the one coming in peace, and people were saying peace and safety. Uh, what a glorious time, right? And that is the Antichrist riding on the white horse. The next horse is war. Wars and rumors of wars. The next horse or seal is famine. And the next horse after that is really its death. Uh, it is uh, pestilence. And so there are four seals. The fifth seal is martyrdom. That's where believers are actually arrested, persecuted, martyred. During the first part of the tribulation, of course, it goes all the way through the tribulation. And then, then the sixth seal we looked at last week, and all you have to do is think about the sky. And what was in the sky? And, of course, it deals with the sun that's blackened, and the moon becomes blood, like blood. The stars are all of the, the heavens seem like they're just falling apart breaking apart and uh, it's split apart like a scroll and mountains and islands are moved out of their places. So then the kings of the earth, the great men, the poor men, uh, the men, women, whatever, it's everybody who is not a believer that doesn't have the seal of God are they're crawling under rocks trying to find caves to hide in as the rocks are being blown apart trying to hide, and they're trying to hide from God. And of course, Psalm 139 says nobody can hide from God. And what is worse about it is that they know who it is that's doing this. And he's crying out, in a sense, repent! But they don't repent. The great day of wrath has come. Who is able to stand? Well, nobody, unless God saves His people that he so desires. And here he does it in chapter 7. It's called a parenthesis between chapter 6 and the first six seals. Before we get into the seventh seal is the sealing of Israel. Very important. The sealing of Gentiles. It's everybody across the world who are the elect that he's going to protect 
He'll protect their souls. And this first group, He will protect all the way through the Great Tribulation. So, it says, after this, those are two important words, and we just kind of described it. What it is, it's a new vision. If you were to go back to chapter 4, verse 1, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. After what things? After talking about the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. After that, I saw this. So it's a chronological aspect here. Not all of Revelation is chronological because sometimes it will go back in time and pick it up, but that's chronological after these things. That's what we get in chapter 7 after this. Uh, Or in chapter 6, verse 1, Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals. Right? We're seeing that. In chapter 7, verse 9, it says, After these things, after the numbering of the 144,000, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude. People from all over the world. It's a special protection on the godly. It's the vision, not of the judgment on the earth this time, but it's a vision of the protection of God. He seals His people. So you have four angels, you have four corners, you have four winds. Four is uh, you know, kind of like a, a testing sometimes, or in this sense, you have four angels. That's what He needs for the four corners of the earth. Four directions uh, in the parables of Jesus. He, whenever he mentioned this kind of judgment to come, that would be in the tribulation. Uh, he spoke about angels being present at this time, helping him, being a part of the final fury and judgment. Uh, they're powerful, active judgments by these angels in the great time of God's wrath. They're very powerful beings because they're holding back the wind. Can you imagine that? The wind is wanting to blow, but it can't get going. The wind is there ready to do what it always does, and the angels are this powerful. One angel for each direction. They hold it back. Now the skeptics here will say something about the four corners and see, they'll say, see the Bible is not a book of science and uh, the four corners, there's no corners, it's not square or anything like that. You see, they'll say, well, you know, you know, the people knew the world was, didn't know the world was round, so they said the four corners, so they're inaccurate, right? No, quite the contrary. They're as accurate as can be. Uh, You see, there's no problem with it because people did know the world was round because there was the circle that the Lord sits upon. He mentions it as a sphere. Although in man's godly or man's worldly wisdom, They come up with the fact that it's a flat earth and then you go so far and you just fall off the earth, right? Well, God always had given the people really wisdom and His truth here that it's a sphere, it's a circle. Uh, So there's no problem with this. When we think of, and you'll hear the weatherman, you know, they'll say things, you know, the sun is rising, the sun is setting. 
scientifically, you know, we could really just butcher them up on that, couldn't we? But no, we know what they mean. And we say it all the time too because it fits for us. That's the way that we see it. Well, here you have four angels at the four corners. And if you have a compass, what you have is you have a four points on a compass. N-S-E-W. North, south, east, west. There's four directions. And that's simply what God is meaning here. It's where the wind originates. From those particular directions, you know, you might get southwest or southeast and kind of mixed together, but we have those four main directions. And the angels really are holding back the wind. Who knows all the things that they're doing right now? We don't have a clue of the spiritual warfare that's going on. Well, you see, the wrath is restrained here. The very judgments are of God are described in trumpet judgments, um, bowl judgments, uh, being held back before chapter 8 comes along. The angels hold it back until chapter 8, if we can put it that way. The wind is roaring, but it's restrained before it starts catapulting all the stuff coming out of the heavens and everywhere, and it actually scorches the earth and all those things that happen, terrorizes the earth. A third of the earth is burned up. A third of the sea is gone. A third of the plants. And a third of human beings. Now I want to tell you, that's significant because... In the previous chapter, we saw a fourth of people were killed early in the tribulation. Now it's going to be a third. You add that up, I think it's a little over half of the world is killed in the space of a few, very few short years. That's a lot of people. Eight billion or seven something billion, let's just say a little more than half of that would be 4 billion people in a short amount of time. That is incredible. How many people do we have here in America? Is it 250 million? Is it, getting, is it close to 300 million? I'm, I'm not sure. That's not even close to a billion, is it? That's like wiping out countries at a time. Unbelievable! It'll happen. And here we have God, the angels, the winds being held back, and God's restraining here, and now He's going to take a seal and seal. First of all, He's going to seal His Jewish people. And what happens here, it's the seal of the living God in chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, he says, And I saw another angel. There's, there's four. Now another one. That's a fifth one. Ascending from the rising of the sun. Where's that at? East. Everybody knows that, right? Uh, when you speak, uh, what is Japan called? The land of the rising sun, and on the flag is a great big kind of a red-orange ball, right? 
that's Japan. Everybody knows that. It's from the, ri- uh, the rising sun, uh, from the east. They are from out of the east. China's from the east, right? All of the... So anyway, this angel's coming out of the east. Who's writing this? Well, it's John. Here's what John sees. He's at Patmos. You know, he's like in the, the, the Greek area. And so, he's looking east, and guess what he sees? He sees the easterly direction coming from what would be the holy city. Coming from the holy city are the sons of Israel. Or it's actually seeing this angel, but the angel is going to speak about those people that are east of there which John is familiar with. And so here we are. The seal of the living God is going to be put on the tribes of Israel. Twelve tribes. What is a seal? Seal means ownership. A seal means you have authority on this. And a seal means protection. Uh a king would have a signet ring. And this would go into, it would actually be a stamp. And they would put it on wax that has been heated. And you take that ring and you put it into that wax. You now have a seal. It's come from the king. He is saying, I own this. I have the authority over this. Uh, it means I have protection over this, of this. He's protecting His people that He has chosen beforehand. So it's ownership, authenticity, and security is what the king would be offering. That's what God is doing here. He's offering ownership as He seals this. He's also showing His authenticity that's real. And... There is security. It's saying, this is mine. These are mine, as he puts a seal on them. This happens to be the seal of the living God. Now, we're going to turn back to Ezekiel chapter 9. There you have a prophecy of Israel, or actually Judah, Benjamin, the two tribes are going to be left at this time. And Babylon is now being prophesied to come. And they're surrounding the city of Jerusalem because they're going to destroy it eventually. And God gave a vision here to Ezekiel, as He most often does through uh, the chapters of Ezekiel. And this is a vision of slaughter. There's going to be major slaughter to the city of Jerusalem and Israel. But what is he going to do before he does that? Look at verse 4. The Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. But to the others, he said in my hearing, go through the city after him and strike. Do not let your eye have pity and do not spare. Take them all. But I have mine whom I am sealing. 
Do you get that? That was what Ezekiel got from the message of what Babylon was going to do. God had His elect. He seals them. They're His. He's going to take care of them. He's going to protect them. He did that. Here we have here in Revelation now, before the last seal is opened, is the seal that God gives them. Look in Revelation chapter 9, verse 4. Now, this is interesting. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. If you don't have that seal, then they are going to be destroyed. They will be killed, tormented and such. So God has a seal that He puts on His people, doesn't He? The seal of God. It's protection. They're going to be invincible against all the judgments that are to come. They already have been through the six seals, haven't they? And we're not talking little kids here because this has been three and a half years. Now it's going to only be three and a half more years. He's talking about people that are, you know, would be like adults. Anyone could die in that judgment except those people that are marked out. There's some who will not die during the tribulation. They're the 144,000 who will make it all the way through because of God's seal. You say, what about that other group? Well, we'll get to them in a moment. They're not going to be sealed in the same way. God will protect them, but they will die. That's okay. God is God. Now, what is that mark? What is this? Sealed and, and this kind of thing that just sounds strange. What, what is the mark? Revelation 14, 1 through 4. Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of His Father written on their foreheads. The name of the Lamb and the name of the Father written on their foreheads. That's the 144,000. That's the mark. It says in verse 2, I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of a harpist playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones. Here's their characteristic. Look at them. Look how they've been cleaned. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women for they have been kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits. There's going to be more to come because of their witness. And no lie, their first fruits to God and to the Lamb, and no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. Did you see their characteristic? It's a mark of believers, isn't it? They were believing Jews who God elected. He seals these ones who are living at this time. A command is given to the angels. 
Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. So there we go. We have this all set up. We've recognized who, uh, who it is. Uh, who are the 144,000? That's a silly question to ask because it's right there. <laughs> the only thing is, we, we say it's Jews who've come to Christ. 12,000 Jews out of 12 tribes. Each tribe has 12,000 that God has numbered. He chose them before the foundation of the world. Now they're sealed. They're living at this particular time period. And God has redeemed them. They are now evangelists. They are preachers. They are 124,000 Apostle Pauls that's going to be delivering the Gospel all over everywhere. That's why the next group is going to be able to come to Christ because of their preaching of the Gospel. So now, how hard is that to figure out? (laughs) And he keeps repeating it. Whenever I was reading it, I had a hard time reading it because it was like, from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. I've got to take a breath. (laughs) From the tribe of Reuben were 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. Each one he mentioned it that way. He's making it very clear so we will not speculate. So you have these people called uh, Seventh-day Adventists. Maybe they might have a problem with it. Or who else might you have? Uh, how about Jehovah's Witnesses, right? They may, they may really wonder who those 144,000 are. Actually, they don't wonder. They can already tell you. They're already in. Some of them will doubt that and say, no, I'm in there though. You know, and they say, what's already happened? And anyway, you have Mormons, British, Israelites. They have confusion over 144,000. And the fact of the matter is, we're speaking of Israel. It's, we're speaking of those tribes. It has, this is not us. We are sealed by the living God, the Holy Spirit. But this group is not us. Some will try to put that and spiritualize it, but you know, if we spiritualize that, then we can go back to the Old Testament and spiritualize everything there uh, about Babylon and the coming judgments. Where uh, you know, he made it very clearly, and when he used symbols, he used those to make it very clear what he was really saying that's going to happen, literally. So when we see 1260 days, whenever we see three and a half years. When we see seven years, there's no need to doubt those numbers because nowhere else in Scripture should they be doubted. But there are people who doubt the sixth day creation. And that's not literal either. Once we start striking out literal numbers, and whenever you're speaking in Hebrew when you're doing that, when you link a number with something else, it means that and that alone. Uh, I hate to be so... uh, dogmatic about it, but that's the way the language is. That's what it is. If we start spiritualizing everything in the Scripture, then we become like what the church has done throughout the years. The Roman church did it. They spiritualized all of that. Uh, It really doesn't mean what it's saying. and You get that in the liberal movement in the church today and no longer is the Bible really the Word of God. 
So why not 144,000 Jews that God wants to operate through? The tribes are not lost. Some people say, well, that was done at 70 AD and there's no Jews anymore at all. Well, who was it that Hitler was killing then back in, in the 30s, 40s, right? Uh, who, who were those guys? I, I understand that they were Jews. Well, he was misunderstood, right? They all got mixed and everything. I'll tell you what, it's amazing how God can take a nation and you can see the very same characteristics of those people today and say, well, who is it? Well, that's a Jewish person. Uh, tell them uh, that they're not Jewish. Go ahead, tell them that. You know, and then they're, you know, it's... It, it is what it is. And somehow they've kept it that way. And of course, as they've gone along, they were spread out all through Europe and such. They didn't marry. They, you know, there's, that's taboo in the Bible as a whole. Have there been Jews marrying other people? Gentile? Well, yeah, absolutely. But for the most part, if you look at it, those Jewish people are part of the very same tribe they always were of. God knows who the tribes are. They don't know. But up until 70 A.D., they actually kept records in the temple. But that got burned up. And so the people don't necessarily know what tribe they're from, but God does. No problem with that at all, is there? Jeremiah 31.10 says, Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it to the isles afar off. May that might be somebody like us from way, way away from Israel and other people. He that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him. He scattered Israel, but He will also keep him as a shepherd does his flock. And that's precisely what we have in this chapter. We have the one who scattered Israel, and then He also gathers Israel. By the way, interesting, for what, 1900 years, they didn't have a country. They were scattered out all over Europe. Uh, of course, we can think of Germany, and we can think of Russia, and and. France, a lot of these nations just kicked them out. And uh, so therefore, they, they didn't really have a country, but God has gathered them into a country that has happened pretty well within our lifetime or shortly before it, which is incredible. Hundreds and hundreds of years before, they didn't have that. God here has a shepherd. And the shepherd is the one who takes care of the sheep. He owns them. He takes care of them. And uh, he gathers them like a shepherd. And he seals them. He knows them. And they know him. Well, lastly, of part one here is, what about the tribes? There's a problem there. How many times have you seen where the tribes are listed and they're, they're different? you seen that? What do you do with that? Well, God's Word must be not be true then. And so therefore we have errors. And you know what? If that be the case, why in the world would I be up here standing and proclaiming this? Because it really doesn't mean that. And if that be the case, I walk away. Because what else is in there that I cannot trust? Right? right. That's how important it is to gather this. So, here's the deal. God knows the number He wants, Right? If, if He's a God of election, and this is one of the best proofs of elective purpose and redemption, you say, well, they, they turned their backs on Him finally, and that was it, and He's done with them. Where in Scripture do you ever see that? You will not see it in the Old Testament because it's repeated over and over and over and over. 
But also it's repeated over and over in the New Testament, especially Romans 9, 10, and 11. What about Israel? Well, I'm not going to go through that, but can he have... In Romans 9, it talks about divine election, doesn't it? And if he can save Gentiles and have them elected, can he have elect Jews who will come to Christ also? Well, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. He's been doing it, hasn't he? But at this time, he has a number that he's going to work through at this time. I think it's rather remarkable. Different listings. Well, what about those different listings? Sometimes there's the order of birth where you have the list of the tribes. Genesis 29 through 35. Sometimes the order of Jacob's blessing is followed, such as in Genesis 49. Sometimes the order of encampment is followed, such as in Numbers chapter 2. The first tribe named, even in our text today, is who? Judah. Was Judah the firstborn? No. Well, why is he putting that out of order? Well, it's because there's a little problem with Reuben. Reuben lost his birthright. He's no longer considered the firstborn. Physically he was, but who is here? It's Judah. Anyway, uh, so Reuben lost his, I guess you could say, the progenitor role. Then you have another interesting note that in verse 7 it says... um, Levi from the tribe of Levi, Levi, 12,000. Well, the Levites are the priest. As far as inheritance go, they don't get the land. They, not, they didn't get the land, right? Do you remember that? And so therefore, they're taken care of by the people. They're the priests. Offerings are brought there. And so they get everything they need. And, you know, a place to live, food, and, and whatever. Uh, they're priests of the whole nation. They took care of them. Okay, but in this one, Levi is mentioned. Kind of on the outside, aren't they? The answer is because Dan is left out of this list. And you say, well, why is Dan left out of this list? Because he's left out because of gross idolatry. And you'll be happy to know that in the millennial listing of the, of the tribes in Ezekiel 48, Dan is included. God's grace triumphs over all our sin. Even the nation of Israel, because they rejected Him, He still will apply His grace and mercy to the elect of that nation, as well as He does the Gentiles. And here, to Dan, He will bring back into the fold, per se. And that's about God's glory, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? The grace, the mercy, the love that God has even for what Dan did in his idolatry. It was gross. Then one other note. Instead of having Ephraim and Manasseh who are two that go together from Joseph and Joseph is not usually listed but his two sons are Ephraim and Manasseh. But in this one you only get Manasseh in verse 8. Uh, you get Joseph there, which would be in the place of... Uh, but, you know, you get the listing of 12. 
Levi, not having a territory, gets it. The two sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, are listed, but Ephraim is left out. Why is Ephraim left out? Well, he was addicted to idols. Ephraim defected from the house of David, and Ephraim was an ally of the enemies of God's people, Judah's allies. Remember the ten tribes that went north? Ephraim is quite the defector in, in, in leading that way and being really taking sides of, with the enemy. So some pretty interesting notes there, isn't it? Ephraim's place is taken by Joseph. Do the Jews know what tribe they're from? No. God knows. I will say it's amazing how pure the Jewish people have remained. They still have a tribal heritage. They just don't know what it is right now. God does. Let's go to the second group. Okay, we got the first group, right? Pretty easy to understand. This revelation isn't that hard, is it? Because you always have somebody explaining what it is. Just keep looking further and you'll find out. Now, it's going to be the uncountable multitude. The multitude of Gentiles. And what does it start with in verse 1? After these things I looked and what? Behold! (laughs) Check this out. Here's what I saw. You won't believe what I saw. Now, first of all, there are contrasts between this crowd that John sees and the crowd that he just described, the 144,000. They're the same in that they're saved the same way by the Lamb of God. They repent. They believe. There's There's only one way of salvation. It's through the person of Christ. But there's different... People, just like today, we have people from all over the world. They speak different languages. They speak, uh, not only speak, but they have different cultures. Uh, they're totally, but they, if they're believers, we have something in common. There's no longer Greek or Jew, you know, the Gentile men, women. Well, they still exist. Do men and women still exist? Yeah, but in Christ, we're the same, right? So. We don't divide them up that way, but there's something particular interesting about each of the, the groups here. Uh, the contrast are this. First of all, in the first group, 144,000. Second group, it's no one could calculate how many were there. It's that huge. Secondly, the nationality. In the first group, it is the Jewish people, the sons of Israel. And just so people would say, well, we're sons of Israel. Yeah, because of faith, but there's a literal aspect, sons of Israel, where they are the sons of Jacob. They are in tribes. We are not in tribes. So that's why you see two different groupings here going. Are they both believers? Yes. And so there's two things there. No one can... uh, Count the number, the nationalities involved, and then thirdly, the ones through verse 8 are going to go through the tribulation. They have a seal on them. 
that Noah can touch. The second group, yeah, there's another sense of God seals them, but they're going to come out of the tribulation. There's going to be plenty of people saved that as soon as they're saved, they're going to die. It won't take very long because when they find out you're a Christian, find out you're a believer, you're done. And you look out through the rest of Revelation, you'll see that this is a massive revival, folks. 144,000 is a big number. But this number here has never been duplicated in any sense or form. This is the biggest revival ever and it puts on display the great grace of God, the glory of God in the worst times of man. And it is, it's the best because these people are, you know, they have no chance. But God comes in and saves them. They are the elect. Is it because He saw that they were going to trust Him? No. He saw them before the foundation of the world just like everybody else. People have different time periods when they live in, but they were already uh, chosen by God. And it says here now that they uh, you have every nation, all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They're right in the presence of God. White robes, palm branches were in their hands getting ready to praise God there. They are souls. They are not bodies yet. When you die, you go to be with the Lord. You're a spirit being. Spirits made perfect. You're a soul without a body. And, you know, you look at Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, when we saw in the fifth seal about the martyrs, this, this is an, at an earlier time. You have the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God, because of the testimony which they had maintained. Did you see that? Souls. They too are there, but they do not have bodies yet. Just like these multitudes. They will get a body. All will get a glorified body, but not at that time. Look in Revelation 20, verse 4, right back near the very end. And we have... Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. That's our group here. Because of their testimony of Jesus, and because of the Word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark of of the beast on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Their souls came to life, but they're already living. We're talking about their bodies coming to life. Like we're considered to be resting in our graves right now, but yet our soul is with the Lord, very conscious, very present. But yet we have no body if we are in heaven right now. But we wait for that day that Christ comes back to resurrect bodies. So, really, there's no bodies there. It's Christ. He's the resurrected one, isn't He? Okay. Now, white robes, palm branches. Uh, if you were to go like on Palm Sunday, you'll get a, probably sometimes a message if you, you go to church right on, on uh, Palm Sunday. And people are waving palms, right? They're 
No, real oh. green palms, <laughs> not the. And it was a mark of celebration, victory, triumph. Uh, the Messiah was coming into the city, and they were waving the palm branches. This is victory. We, you know, here's the king. And so they are also wearing white robes that represents what? Righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. The robes have been washed, it says. That means there's been forgiveness of sins. They know the forgiveness of sins, that, that they know that they are justified, that they are righteous because of what Christ has done. They've been made white, they make them white. They stand holy and righteous before the Lord, and they have this because of the virtue, because of the act of the blood of the Lamb. What does the blood mean? What Christ did on the cross. So we can say the blood of the Lamb means pardon of sin. It means security. It means the penalty is gone. You're righteous. Not guilty before the Lord. And so you can say, well, the souls are wearing a robe. No problem with that. There's a representation of what they are. They're very characteristics. But this is what John is seeing here in his in this vision. And so we um, see what they do next is they do what's natural. They cry out with a quiet voice. Here we are. Well, we said all along, it's loud in heaven until sometimes it gets quiet as can be. That means something bad is getting ready to happen. But it's loud because people are praising God. Folks, we're already probably, we're, we're actually having millions up there now, even at that time probably. Who knows how many? You can't count them and, and there's more to die. You know? More to come there. But what are they saying loudly? Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's loud there. I like that. It's not quiet. Well, there is what they're saying. Uh, the multitude here. There are people from all over the world, folks, with all sorts of different colors. I don't know. And yet... You know, their souls, I have, all I can say is that they are there because they have the most important thing in common. That's Christ. And now you have right there at the throne room, you have the elders. You have the, uh, the, uh, what, the, the four living creatures. You have the angels. You have these souls here. And they're all praising God. And here it says in verse 11, and all the angels are standing around the throne, around the elders, and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, I don't, know, I don't know if your version says this or not, but it does, you know, it should be close. Amen. You want to say it? Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The elders representing the church, the four living uh, creatures, the angels. And they're all saying this. What a praise and worship this is. This is truly amazing. John says, Behold, look at 
this. I mean, that's that's what's said. I looked and behold, I'm writing this. I'm telling you, this is what I saw. I can't even count these. Who are they? Well, the elder asked him that. This I find rather kind of you know kind of funny. Then one of the elders answered, said to me, "These who are clothed in the white robes, you know, it's not the angels over there. It's not the four living creatures. These ones right here, that the white robes, who are they, and where they come from?" He has two questions. Now, do you think the elder doesn't know, and he's trying to get information? He knows. He's saying, hey, John, who are these guys? John's I have no idea. You're asking. Why are you asking me? He, you know, he said, hey, tell me. I'm all ears. Please tell me. Do you get the idea? It's what a teacher does. They'll ask you a question, and you haven't gotten the answer yet. It's not in the outline. It's not in the text. He can say, yes, please, please. And they'll wait till the very end. You know, no. We need to know now, don't we? John says, well, you know. I said to him, my Lord, you know. You know, sir, you know, whoever you are. You know, wow. He's blown away. And he said to me, I'm not going to tell you. You have to die first. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. Jesus spoke of this. John speaks of this. Paul speaks of it. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood. They're justified, forgiven sinners because of the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, because of this, they are before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple and He who sits on the throne will spread His tabernacle over them. They have come out of, that's ek, or exit, out of the tribulation. They were in it. They were in the great tribulation and now they are in heaven. But it's not the eternal state. It's not the kingdom it is during the great tribulation. That's who we're describing here. Who are they? Um, so it's not just the people in the first half. We're talking about believers who are massacred in the last three and a half years by the droves. Thousands and thousands and thousands are killed. They become believers. So this accelerates and accelerates and accelerates. The greatest revival in the world brings people directly into the kingdom. They don't have to wait too long. And you know the cost. This is the greatest cost that any Christian can imagine. You have to give up your life. Well, we gave up our lives, but we haven't given up our bodies yet for that. But these people did. But remember, before the tribulation, they were not believers. God saves them during this time. Don't ever let anybody tell you, say, well, if you miss out on, they'll say, missing out on the rapture, then you don't have a second chance, that's it. That be the case, nobody has a second chance, third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance. 
144,000? And then a multitude and people will say they nobody gets a second chance if you heard it. Now if you didn't hear it, then it, that really has no credence there really. Uh, what are they doing? They're serving night and day. They serve as priests. Uh, described in, in Leviticus, for instance. Um, now it gives us this shepherd thought here. And by the way, they're before him night and day. They're right there. And God spreads His tabernacle over them. He's protecting them now. He's taking care of them. He's an eternal shepherd. Um, they will hunger no longer. Do you think they hungered during the Great Tribulation? Remember what's happening? It's already uh, people have died because of famine. Nor thirst anymore. What happens to the water during this time? Nor will the sun beat down on them. It's scorching the earth. Nor any heat. And what does He say here? For the Lamb is in the center of the throne. will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. They know the joy now of being sheltered completely. And here they are, and they belong to Him. You remember the seal that the 144,000 have? These guys have seals too. Are you sealed by the Holy Spirit? Yes, you are. And you know what? We belong to Him. Do you let this be encouragement to you? I hope this gives you great assurance. You know what Jesus said in John 10? I am the shepherd. You know what else He said? My sheep hear My voice and they follow Me. I know them and they know Me. And they follow Me. He is the shepherd. We belong to Him. That's election, folks. All over the place. It's written everywhere there. Well, in... Psalm 23.1 We get a shepherd. I just want to take a moment to read this. You've heard it many times. Many unbelievers think this is a beautiful psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. It's good to circle there. My shepherd. He's the Lord, right? Each word you could take apart. Here we go. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Look at this. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. <clears throat> 
Does that make you want to shout and praise and you you should be crying out, right? This is the shepherd and his sheep. And in Revelation, our text, this is what I want to say most to you today. You know what? He marks his own. Regardless of whether it be some physical way or the spiritual element is really what it means, but it means that we do belong to him. Um, they'll never hunger or thirst anymore, will they? They were. It was at a time that's horrible. Look in Revelation 13, 17. I'm going to shut it down here in about a minute or a minute and a half. 17, look at this. Antichrist. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark. Either the name of the beast or the number of his name. You can't buy or sell on earth. Guess what? These guys right here couldn't do it because they didn't have the mark of Antichrist. They had something that was better. The mark of God. And so they starved to death. They were burned to death. Scorched to death. Who, who knows the many different ways. The millions and millions of them, folks. Millions. Get it. What a revival this is. Revelation 16.9 16.9 Come on, Dennis, hurry it up. Men were scorched with fierce heat and they blasphemed the name of God. Is that these people here? No, it's the ones who are not having the mark of Christ. They have the mark of the Antichrist who has power over these plagues and they did not repent so as to give Him glory. They did not give God glory. Give Antichrist glory. Um... 21.4, look at this. God Himself will be among them. He dwells amongst them. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. People have been seeing death all over, folks. There will no longer be any mourning or crying. Can you imagine? It's a world of crying and pain and mourning. The grief that is there is beyond any comprehension. And the first things have passed away. Come into my presence. A strange metaphor here as we close out today in our Revelation 7. The shepherd is a lamb. The shepherd is the lamb of God. Verse 17, he's just mentioned about the shepherd, right? And 17, for the lamb in the center of the throne will be there Shepherd. The lamb is a shepherd. You know what that means? This is the best thing I got out of this, out of all this week. The lamb is a shepherd. Yeah, okay, I know that. Lion is a lamb. Lamb is a shepherd. Yeah, right. Isn't that strange? The lamb is a shepherd. The lamb is a shepherd. You know what he's saying there? My Christian brothers and sisters, it identifies him even more deeply. He is one of us. He feeds us. He leads us. He wipes away the tears. We progress in joy from one fountain succeeding another fountain, another fountain. He leads us beside still waters. He's doing it here. And in heaven, can you imagine going from one fountain to another fountain? Joy. 
and pleasure forevermore. We just have to live on this earth first. Let's pray. Father, great God, what a mighty truth You've given us. We take great comfort in this. Because even if people die because of Your name, You bring them right into Your presence where there's joy forevermore and never a tear will be shed. Lord, it is great pleasure to know that there is nothing to fear. We fear You. And Lord, that we can take this home and put it in the bank. It is as good as gold and it's forever this precious truth. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.